You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable for judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So, when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to the court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you'll never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife... Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair, white or black. Let your word be yes. Yes or no? No. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. This is three bits, isn't it? There's three things that Jesus begins each section with. You have heard it said, but I say to you. We want to reflect on that just before we do anything about the actual text. You have heard it said, but I say to you, not just you have heard it said, but these are the words that are encased in the law, in the Ten Commandments and the bits that follow. That's there, but I say to you. It's really interesting. There are lots of Christians in the world who, who think that the Bible is given to us as if God wrote it down or at least move the hand of the people who wrote it, and that everything it says is clear and understandable, 
and we just have to do it. There's a, a kind of shortened saying of that is, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But here we've got Jesus taking the words that people believed to be inspired by God, just as we do today. He says, the words say this, but I say. Jesus actually is part of a grand tradition in Judaism. The document that we call the Talmud is an ongoing commentary and conversation about the original text. So the Bible says this, or in their case, what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible says this, Let's have a conversation about it. This is where I'm thinking that goes at the moment. This is how I think we should interpret that. It's an ongoing great conversation. And the Talmud continues today. Even though people aren't adding to it in, in the Jewish tradition, there's the ongoing conversation of what it means. What, is it, what does it mean now in relation to our experience now? And what did it mean then? And what were people saying since that time? Jesus is very engaged in an ongoing conversation. And I think one of the things he's inviting us to do all the way through the Gospels is to engage with this stuff, not just to take it and read it. And that's all there is to it. In the great tradition of the Christian church, we're required all the time when we are making decisions about our lives and what we do, the church encourages us to ask, what does the text say? What does tradition say? In other words, how has this been interpreted over the 2,000 years of the New Testament or longer of the Old Testament? What's the tradition been saying about this? What is the church saying at the moment? In other words, what are we collectively saying? It's not just up to you and I as individuals, but what are we generally saying together? And a fourth question is, what is happening in our culture that might be helping us understand this or blocking our understanding of it. A, a good example is that we are a very individualistic culture, which is not a, a criticism, it's just the nature of our culture. The culture of Jesus' time was much more of a collective, clan-based culture. And so we are tending to interpret things based on our assumptions about the world. And that's natural, but it's much better if we understand what some of those assumptions are so that we can rethink things. Justice as Jesus is doing. And it seems quite clear that in Jesus' time, or at least in the time when the Gospels were written down, that there was a great problem with rigidity, with a culture that seemed to say, it's this or nothing. You're either in or you're out. And Jesus appears to be in conflict with that culture all the way through the Gospels. So he talks about the scribes and the Pharisees and is often quite critical of them. And we have to read between the lines because we weren't there, but it, it seems very much that he's criticising this rigidity. So he begins these three elements by saying, you have heard it said, but I say, this is my contribution to the great conversation. Uh, we're, we're not much different today. When we have polarising figures like Donald Trump in the White House, it divides the world into those who are on this side and those who are on that side. If you've ever had the misfortune, as I would put it, of watching Fox News, uh, it, it's a completely different worldview and a completely different set of facts many times, what we've come to know as alternative facts, uh, than the other uh, news media or what Trump calls the failing New York Times and fake news. We're dividing the world. So we're not that far off 
the world of Jesus, a world of rigidity where we're literally building walls. As those of us who were here last Sunday, we prayed for the peace of Jerusalem and uh, Israel-Palestine with the walls that they built right in the middle. So maybe Jesus' idea of, you've heard it said, but I say, not, you've heard it said, therefore I will have another law for you to do, but you've heard it said, and I say, let's do this differently. This is acting up again, isn't it? I swear, look, I came in here yesterday, and... And I put this on, and I ran. I literally ran around here, shook it all around, and I yelled and screamed, and I and I spoke very quietly, and it was perfect. The only thing has changed. I'm going to turn it off. The only thing that's changed. Is you lot came in. It was fine before you got here. I promise. I'll get rid of it. Okay, all of that. Oh, and that's a really interesting thing about this painting, is it's on the wall of the Sistine Chapel, and directly opposite, there's a whole bunch of panels on the wall. They're about, um, when you see, as I say, I've not been there, but they seem to be starting about this high, and, then, and you look up at them. And, and directly opposite, and this was on purpose, is Moses receiving the law tablets. Uh, as we have in the in uh, uh, in the Old Testament, and he receives the law tablets, and so there's this idea that Jesus is is giving a different law. And you may notice in, in, if you look at this painting, it's, these paintings are absolutely f- fascinating for what they tell us and what they don't tell us. But right at the top, much much higher than Jesus, is a church. See on another hill. It's kind of a subtle pr- story that says, well, Jesus said this, and now the church is in charge. So we've taken what Jesus said, but if you really want to know the truth of everything, go right up the top, above the mount that Jesus is on, to a real mountain where the church is. Maybe not a story we'd want to tell these days, but it seemed to work uh, in the 15th century for the frescoes. But I don't think Jesus is giving another law at all. I think he's doing what I've just said. He's inviting us into the great conversation. And then he does it in ways that... um, very little to do with the kind of world we live in, but were very key to the time he lived. So he says, you have heard it said, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not swear falsely. Each of those, when you look at them in, in the, in, without trying to imagine we live in the same world exactly, they all seem to be about using other people as props in your own drama. That is, you are the centre of everything and everyone else is there to be used and moved around to make your life work. I mean, murder, obviously, is the manipulation of other people to such an extreme that you kill them in order to make whatever it is you need to have happen, happen. Or whatever it is you need to stop happening, stop. Well, Jesus says, obviously, don't do that, but I'm going to say something even more. I think that the problem with the way we manipulate people that leads to murder begins much earlier than that. If you are angry, or it's a much better translation, because Jesus was angry a number of times, and anger is an emotion, not not something we can particularly manage as it comes to us. We can only manage what we do with it. 
And so, so the scholars say a better translation is if you stay angry with someone or you dismiss them with insults, you know, you're a fool. That's, again, it's manipulating people to fit the way you want the world to be. As we said last week, mercy is, in our sort of slang languages, cutting people a bit of slack, giving people a bit of movement and space because they're going to screw things up all the time just as you are and they are and we are together. And So it's about forgiveness because they need it and you need it. To live in a good community, we need to give each other a bit of space and we need to give each other a bit of grace, don't we? If every time something wrong happens on the road, you get angry, well, yes, yeah, sometimes people are idiots when they're driving, but as many times as not, they're like me, they just forget. I forgot to turn on my turn signal, my indicator, or, or I forgot to slow down when I should have been go, going at the speed limit or whatever. You know, much of it is just us distracted, and if you're always angry because people won't, the rules are the rules and you just got to do them. You're expecting them to do something and it turns out you're not that good at doing either. Plus, it's not good for your blood pressure and you get a headache and and they don't know anyway. <laughs> yeah, yelling at them through the windscreen, they can't hear you. I mean, that's just a small example. But it's this idea that grace is what makes community work. And we've all had it happen to us where we've wanted to engage with someone or would say something and we found ourselves being dismissed or or ignored because that person at that moment is using the world around them to make their life work. And whatever it is you happen to have said or done, it's just of not any relevance at this moment. We do that all the time. I think Jesus is calling us to something quite different than just make sure you don't kill anyone. It's a much gentler, much more open. You have heard it said, but I say, let's talk about this. Or adultery. The Ten Commandments are dead keen against it. It's only speaking, Jesus is only speaking to men because that's the culture in which he lived. The idea that women would have agency and make their own choices is scandalous. They, they have a very imp- uh, important but subservient role. They must do uh, as they're told by the head of the household, which is always the father, until it, they're literally transferred bodily into the household of the husband. Uh, and then, they, so there's no independent thinking. And then, so Jesus, so you, we have to kind of look at all of that from a different culture. But Jesus here is not saying that you shouldn't have sexual feelings. Because he says if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. Because that would be against nature and creation. That's not how we were made. That's not who we are as human beings. What it's about is stealing that man's property. Because that's who that woman is. It's disrespecting that man. And this is nuts because we don't want to live like that, but that's the culture they're in. So it's disrespecting it again, it's using that man to get what you want by using his property. It's a culture that's about manipulating other people for your own benefit. And we've all found ourselves manipulated by someone for their benefit. 
And it's horrible. Sometimes you don't know it's happening if they're very clever. I think there's a lot of people, when you look at the statistics, who feel like they've been manipulated by Donald Trump because he hasn't been able to or hasn't been willing to, whichever way, produce some of the results, particularly for the poor and the working classes, that he said he would do. And you can now read reports of people saying, well, I believed in him, or at least I was so desperate that I was willing to to give him a go, and now I feel like I've been manipulated and used because the only benefit he seems to have given is to rich, uh, wealthy people like him. And then he also says something about swearing falsely. Now, again, this is not part of our culture. We don't make our um, decisions with each other and our agreements with each other based on swearing by a certain religious icon, whereby that means we can trust each other. We, we, Jesus' whole system was built on that level of trust, and without it, it would collapse. And it was trust and honour. So you were honourable because each time you have, you have said you would swear by the name of your God to do something, you've done it, so therefore you're honourable, so therefore I'm willing to trust you. We, we, we work by trust as well. I can wave around small bits of paper that you believe will, will be able, I will be able to use to transact to get real things. If you show a kid money, a little kid, and you show them a bit of paper, 50 bucks, and you show them a $2 coin, they go for the coin every time because it's so cute and it's nice and... Because they don't understand the whole basis of trust is based on the fact that we all believe for the moment, uh, you don't want to go to Venezuela because they don't believe this, they, they've had a 16,000% inflation increase in the last five years, so they don't believe this the way we do. But we believe if we, if I hold this, this piece of plastic now that says $50, that it's, it will be able to exchange for things that we all generally agree are worth $50. Unless I go to a restaurant and I feel like I've been ripped off. Uh, you know, that's, but, you know, that's, so we, we are, we're built on trust too. But Jesus says, you don't need to swear at all. You don't need to be able to show people how honourable and, and uh, clever or how pious you are. What you should do is just say yes or no. Now this is nuts. This is crazy. Jesus is assuming that every human being in the world is of honour and trustworthiness and can engage with other human beings at an equal level of honour and trust and the world can work like that. Jesus is reaching for something glorious. And you heard it in Donald Trump when he started in 2015 saying to people that they'd been ripped off by the banks and by uh, the inner circle of Washington and that ordinary Americans needed to be brought back into the thing, into the, into the experience of America, of make America great again. You can hear the echo in that. People longing for that. We're not that far away. We too long for a world where that would be the case. If we lived in a culture where each person was honoured for being alive and being human, which is what Jesus seems to be calling for, we wouldn't have people incarcerated on Manus Island. We would pay serious attention to what Indigenous Australians are telling the rest of us they need in order to be engaged fully in Australian community. We would stop punishing unemployed people for being unemployed and finally we would raise the rate of new start. Why? Because every person would be honoured and every person would be trusted in the way... Now, not everybody is trustworthy. None of us are trustworthy all of the time. 
doesn't seem to bother Jesus at all. It seems to be that we are all drawn into this and yes, we will screw it up and we will make mistakes. But if we begin on the basis of love, respect and joy for humanity, we have a different world than if we begin on the assumption that everyone's out to get me. I can't trust anyone. And if you say hello to me, my first thought is, what do you want? Why are you talking to me? What's going on? And you get into that position and you become psychologically ill very, very quickly. Jesus is calling us to another, another, another thing. Now, there's a lot of hyperbole in here. That is the idea that all through Jewish texts, and not just the New Testament, but in lots of other Jewish texts that we have available to us, you don't just say, uh, if you do this, bad things will happen to you. You have to say something quite over the top. If your hand betrays you, cut it off. Um, it's, it's kind of like when we watch television today or movies. Some of them are, are very graphic in the way they portray the story that they're trying to tell. It's as if we kind of won't listen if it's done sensibly. So it has to be done over the top. That's what most people think in the vivid storytelling that we get with Jesus. But if this doesn't, if you don't live this way, life begins to fall apart. And he mentions hell quite a number of times. Now hell is actually not a very good translation of the word because we've now understood it to mean this kind of afterlife, um, pit of fire, that kind of thing. But in this part of the Bible, the word that they use is, is, is actually the word Gehenna, which is the word for a rubbish dump on the outside of Jerusalem, a real place where people took all kinds of refuge, sometimes even dead bodies of people for whom no one had, uh, they had no relationships or family or friends to bury them. It was the dump where everything got thrown on the scrap heap. And it's not Jesus saying, if you don't do this, God will throw you on the scrap heap. I think Jesus is saying, if we don't enter into this great conversation about how we do it together and how we live together, we will, in a sense, throw ourselves on the scrap heap. We'll become less than human. And if it's rubbish, you throw it away. It's not God telling us this is going to happen for us. Or this is us telling us, like if you go home now and all you eat for the next six weeks is fairy floss... It's not God or doctors or anybody doing something to you. Any of us can tell you that's not going to end well. It's just the nature of the world. That's the way the world is. God constantly calling us, I think, to this new conversation, which is really exciting. It's not so hard work. It would be much easier if we just got told. And there are churches you can go to where the preacher will get up and say, you've got to do this and not do that. You've got to do this and not do that. We call them fundamentalist churches. And life is very clean cut. But we're not doing that. We're trying to engage with Jesus. You have heard it said, but I say, let's have the conversation. Let's be human beings together.